The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good to see everybody. What a joy to see you on a rainy night in Texas. That sounds good, doesn't it? A rainy night. I love the rain. I love for it to rain, especially at night. I hate for it to rain during the day because I've got too much to do during the day. But at night, I love to sleep with the rain. I used to evangelize, and I had a trailer, and it was a tin trailer. You know, it had that tin roof. And, man, when it rained, I could sleep like nobody's business. And sometimes the wind would get a little heavy. It was a 25-foot trailer, so it would rock a little bit. But at the same time, it sure felt good to sleep under that rain. And so tonight, I probably will sleep well tonight. I probably will because I love a rainy night. Somebody will write a song about that. <laughs> I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love. We sent $2,500 to Rockport this week. I want you to know that on top of what we've already sent. I thank God for that. I thank God for people that have continued to give and contribute to a cause that is greater than themselves. Give and it shall be given. But when it, when it comes back, it's going to be heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your bosom. That's how it's going to happen. And so you can't outgive God. And you can't out-tight fist God. So you might as well open your hands and give and let God give it back to you fourfold, fivefold. The Bible said, the Bible said Isaac planted in the time of famine. And in that same year, reaped a hundredfold. It's no telling what God will do when you become a giving spirit. Don't hide in the corner and say, you know, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I need somebody to help me. No, you get out of that hole of self-doubt and start giving to something greater and watch God bless your life. Givers are livers. Amen. They live. Give and you live. That's right. So that's my little sermon on giving. I'm not teaching on that tonight. But it's a joy to see you. I love Wednesday nights. I love Sunday mornings. Wednesday night is like New Year's and Sunday morning is like Christmas around here. We had a beautiful Sunday, Sunday, and we're so happy that God blessed us and met with us. And uh, we're thrilled beyond measure. Sunday night, did you tell them, Reed? Did you tell them about Sunday night, son? Did you say anything about it? Okay. Sunday night, the continuum had 103 participants in continuum on Sunday night. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? A hundred and three people. And uh, the week before, I think they had something like 70-something or 60-something, something like that, and they went to the college, and uh, they, they had a booth out at the college, and I think they're going to start doing that pretty regularly because the staff here meets people very well, and there's no telling what's going to happen at University of Texas. Amen. They get Christian Life Church on that campus. They like to start winning some football games. <laughs> Coach Charlie Strong, before he left, he said, I wish I'd have got to know you sooner. I said, I do too, sir. I do too, for a different reason than what you think. But I, I think, <laughs> I think, Mr. Strong, Coach, if you'd have started being here, I, I think this church would have, would have turned everything around out there. I just believe in this church that much. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. You're awesome people. I love you very, very much. It's an honor to be your pastor tonight, and I always love to preach the gospel to you. And uh, Sunday I talked about two of the greatest truths that I ever, ever learned in my life, and it's the fact that 
goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The mercies of the Lord are always there. They're always there. They're always there. Mercy endures forever. Say it. Mercy endures forever. And goodness shall follow me. You cannot, you cannot escape the presence of God. He's going to follow you. He's going to come after you. He doesn't give up easy. Isn't that a great thing to know that you have a God that loves you in spite of the fact of all that you do and all that you say and all that you are? And God's there. So tonight, I mentioned two things on Sunday morning that, I, that, I, that I, I'm going to come back and teach on tonight. Just a continuation of Sunday. And uh, I'm going to talk about two overwhelming ideas that have hit my mind. Two overwhelming. Everybody say overwhelming ideas. They may not overwhelm you, but they overwhelm me. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 19 said, He goes up to a mountain, into a mountain, and he calls unto him who he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and, how, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, who was the son of Zebedee. And he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. When I was a young preacher, there was an old preacher that was about 75 or 80 or 85, because old ain't 75 to me. Yet. And he called me one of the original sons of thunder. And I, I, when I read that today, I thought of the old man. He died at 95 years old. He was a dear friend and a great mentor. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. Two overwhelming ideas that I draw from this tonight. I won't be lengthy. Your kids will get home. You'll be able to watch the 10 o'clock news. Or if you want to leave early, the 9 o'clock news. I, I won't hold you long, but I want to teach to you. I honor you because you honor the house of God. And so I'm very time conscious, but I want to teach a gospel to you tonight. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated. You're incredible people. Sunday's going to be a great day, the whole month of October. You believe October's right here, folks, right now? Dear me. <laughs> so I'm attempting to teach this church tonight some lessons I have learned in my life. They may not match other pulpit theologies, but I'm not in competition with those pulpits. As a young man, as a young man, I wanted to know the Lord for myself. I wanted to find revelation and illumination in the Bible by studying and reading, not just what I was told. So I desired to have a close and a personal relationship with the Lord, not just an Esau blessing, but a Jacob birthright. It's better to have a birthright than a blessing because a birthright's always with you. And tonight I share two things the Lord gave me as a young minister, things about me, and tonight I give, I give them to you. The first thing I want to share tonight with this congregation is simply this, and I mentioned it Sunday morning, Jesus loves me in spite of me. Amen. 
Everybody say, I don't do good all the time. <laughs> I mess up. See, every now and then I can think of cuss words. I may not say them, but I think them. <laughs> every now and then I get aggravated. Every now and then I have an anger problem, and I may get sinful with it. Some may remember the movie Places in the Heart. Anybody remember that movie, Places in the Heart? It was a great story, 1984 classic film. Had all kinds of people in it. It starred Sally Fields and John Malkovich and Danny Glover and Ed Harris, some of the people that I've enjoyed. It was set in the Depression era, about 1935, and a, a small-town sheriff, the husband of Sally Fields, was killed, leaving his wife and two small children to try to scrap out a living on their cotton farm. And when the bank threatened to foreclose, the widow takes on a boarder who was a blind veteran from the Great War, World War I. His name was Mr. Will, played by John Malkovich. And later a drifter, a man who was, uh, would, would, was known to steal and known to cheat people, played by Danny Glover, takes up residence in her house. And together the widow and the blind man and the drifter and the two children try to pull off the impossible to get the first load of cotton picked and haul to the gin so that they can win the monetary prize sufficient to save the farm. I remember when I was a sharecropper's son in West Texas that that was still the same thing out there in Hockley County. Whoever brought the first bale of cotton to the gin got a special gift from the gin. And my dad won that mostly every year because we had Jesus on that farm. The most compelling thing about the movie is the odd mix of characters who make up the central cast of characters. A widow with no farming skills or knowledge. A blind man who is bitter about his life. A drifter who struggles with honesty and then two little children. And at the end of the movie, they're all sitting in church. It's one of the most powerful scenes that you'll ever see and they're singing. And while the pictures of all the people in the story are displayed, displayed in the viewing audience, the essence of the story is telling us that everybody mattered. Everybody counted. And everybody was important. Would you say it with me? Everybody matters. Everybody needs to be counted. And everybody is important. At least in that movie. Did you ever notice how often good stories work that formula? Like The Odd Couple, that funny little comedy sitcom used to be on TV, a neat freak and a world-class slob have to learn to live together. How about Gilligan's Island? We all know about Gilligan's Island. Seven people, all of whom were weird in some way, <laughs> stranded together on this deserted island. And then there was a movie called The Dirty Dozen, 12 hardened criminals and a colonel on the outs with his commanders on a mission to eliminate Nazi leadership. And it isn't just television shows and movies. Disparate characters all united in a common quest populate some of the greatest works of literature. It's also in books like Boo Radley and To Kill a Mockingbird or The Grapes of Wrath, The Family Going from Oklahoma or Of Mice and Men. And then there is the Bible. The Bible. What a list of characters. All not worthy are capable of love. The scripture I just read from Mark, the third, uh, the third chapter, it's a section, selection of 12 men from the hundreds of followers of Jesus that he would choose, personally choose and train to change the world. He chose them. Think about it. They didn't select him. He chose them. 
And for a moment, let's look at two of those guys. Two guys that you don't look at a lot. Number one is Matthew and the other is Simon Zelotes, who's the Canaanite. Not Simon Peter, but Simon Zelotes, the Canaanite. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. Matthew collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. Matthew made his money overcharging people like Simon, and Simon lived to eliminate people like Matthew. Can you imagine that Jesus thought, oh, these guys will go good together. They were chosen to be on the same team. Oh, I want to teach tonight. Talk about an odd couple. And with that in mind, let's look at one more passage. Acts, the second chapter, verse 5 through 12. When they received the baptism of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and 120 began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And cloven tongues like as a fire came down from heaven and set upon each of them. There was a rushing mighty wind. It must have been something phenomenal on that day. I will declare to you it's still phenomenal on this day. And, and you remember the Tower of Babel that was being built over in Genesis. And God came down and noticed that they were building a tower to the heavens. And it was not just to build a tall building. It was to take control of the earth. And the Lord came down and realized that they were going to be able to finish what they started because they were in unison and they were together. And so the Lord came down and confounded their language and they couldn't understand one another and the Tower of Babel became just that. It became the tower of people who did not understand somebody else's language. And so the first miracle, folks, of the church was not necessarily tongue-talking people. The first miracle was remaking a community that had been torn apart at the Tower of Babel and there were 17 nationalities there and they came to Jerusalem for a feast and they realized that a bunch of people that were so ignorant and unlearned that none of them were college educated, but they were up there receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and speaking in other tongues. And those 17 nationalities said, how is it that these people speak in our own language? Let me tell you something. When God gets ready, He has got a church that can speak the language of the world of Austin, Texas. And I feel confident to tell you tonight that I'm in the middle of a church right here tonight that can still talk the language of the desperate, still talk the language of the down and outer, still talk the language of the divorced people, still speak the language of the hurting populace, still speak the language of those needed healing, still speak the language of those that need to put their life together. God can still speak that language. Hallelujah. Wow. There was a little young lady walked in the door tonight, and wherever you are, sweetheart, I, I thank you for coming. She said, wow, to find a church that still has Wednesday night service. And I said, yes, ma'am, we do. And not only do we have Wednesday night church, but we have Wednesday night good church. Amen. Clap your hands. You're in a good church tonight. Hallelujah. And the reason it qualifies as a miracle is because it runs counterculture to the normal. Natural human response to diversity. Hear me. 
<laughs> I'm going to get close to some things that we're battling in society tonight, but I'm not going to get on it. I'm going to preach to this church. There's somebody needs to speak the language of everybody in this world. And nobody can do it like a Holy Ghost-filled church. Nobody can do it like a Holy Ghost-filled church. Because when people walk in here, there's one language that they're going to need to learn. And that there's a church that loves them in spite of who they are. They love them in spite of who they are. And I'm here to declare to you right here tonight that it doesn't matter where they come from. What matters is when they walk in here where they're going to. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. Somebody want to get happy with me tonight? I'm going to go ahead and preach. John 11:35 tells us that Jesus wept. The next verse the Jews says, the Jews say, "See how he loved him." Jesus is depicted as loving a dead man. A dead man. One with corruption in his body. Already buried. He's gone. It's over in his life. Yet Jesus still loved him. Do you know anybody that stinketh by now? Do you know anybody that's dead in the trespasses of sin? Do you know anybody in your neighborhood that might be down on their luck and just giving up on life? You need to knock on their door and say, I got one thing to tell you. Jesus loves you in spite of who you are and in spite of what you're going through. Come on, clap your hands. Let's rejoice in that. Robert Fulgham. Robert Fulgham tells a wonderful story about a kindergarten class that decided to perform the story of Cinderella. I've told this story a long time ago here in another thought, but there's a lot of roles in Cinderella, but still casting was a chore because all the girls, of course, wanted to be Cinderella. And finally, all the kids were assigned roles except one, a small, tubby little kid named Norman. He didn't have a role. They couldn't find one for him. So the teacher asked, Norman, what are you going to be? Well, said Norman, I think I will be the pig. The teacher said, Norman, there is no pig in the story of Cinderella. And Norman said, well, there is now. And the teacher could tell it would be a senseless argument to get into. So she left it to Norman to decide what the role of the pig played in the Cinderella story. As it turned out, the pig went everywhere Cinderella went. <laughs> and did whatever Cinderella did. And although he had nothing to say, Norman's face reflected the action of the drama. When things were serious, he was serious. When things looked worrisome, he looked worried. When things were in doubt, he looked anxious. And he began to fill the stage with his presence of response by simply just sitting there and showing faces. And at the end of the performance, when the princess was carried off by the prince to live happily ever after, Norman stood up on his hind legs and started barking. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Ruff, ruff, ruff. In rehearsal, this had been troublesome because the teacher said, Look, Norman, even if there's a pig in the story, pigs do not bark. And Norman said, Well, this one does. You can imagine what happened that night 
of the performance, there was a standing ovation at the end for the pig. <laughs> I had to tell this story, folks. It's too precious. It ain't over yet. Norman the Barking Pig, who was, as it turns out, the Cinderella in the story after all. Word got around and people called up the teacher and said, we hear you have this dynamite Cinderella thing at your school. Can we borrow it? What's so special about it? And the teacher said, well, there's a pig in it. Actually, it's a barking pig. <laughs> and the person on the other end of the line said, but there's no barking pig in Cinderella, to which the teacher said, well, there is now. I think Jesus would love Norman and his barking pig. It does not matter how far away from God you are. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you have made. You can't outrun the love of Jesus Christ. Norman was a little fellow who wouldn't let other people set boundaries around his imagination. He was going to be who he was going to be no matter how foolish he might seem to other people. Jesus' disciples, especially Simon Peter, was somewhat like Norman. It's only natural that when Simon Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he would jump overboard and try to walk out and meet Jesus. But Peter understood a principle that I will endeavor to minister tonight. Jesus loved Simon Peter. Say, he loved him. You won't find a man in the Bible that made more mistakes with his mouth and more mistakes with his actions. If I, if I preached him tonight, I would be here another 45 minutes. Pete was a walking accident waiting to happen. He didn't know how to sling a sword. He tried to cut a man's head off and just hit an ear. You know what I'm saying? He didn't know how to talk anything but Galilean because when his speech betrayed him in front of the fire the night Jesus was crucified, the night before, he, wanted, he, he lied, he lied, he lied, and then he finally just had to walk away because his speech betrayed him. He was a man that was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He was impulsive. He had bravado. He had unbridled enthusiasm. And, and, and he, he, he almost drowned one day. His, he would say things like he would never deny the Lord. His cursing at the fire. He was going back to fishing after the resurrection. And yet Jesus loved Simon Peter. Jesus looked past the bragging. He looked past the swagger. He looked past the compulsion to embellish his ideas. He saw beyond Peter's impulsive nature to the leader he could be. It's obvious that Jesus would rather tone down a fanatic than try to resurrect a corpse. I'm declaring here something tonight. Somebody needs to hear me preach right now. I don't care where you run into. I don't care what wall you bounced off of today. What problem you had in the office. I'm here to declare something to you tonight. Jesus loves you in spite of who you are. If you can't get a grip on that grace... You're not going to get a grip on anything. Clap your hands real big and say, he loves me. 
Now compare that with Robert Roy, or Roy Robert Smith. The Guinness World Record Book of Achievement has this man's name in there. Here's just a small sampling of the things that 36-year-old Roy Robert Smith never tried. He never tasted an ice cream soda or a Coca-Cola or a ginger ale. He never went hunting or swimming or fishing or hiking or ice skating. He never drove a car. He never rode on a motorcycle or a horse or a bicycle. He never had a surgical operation, although he needed them. He never joined a church or a club or a lodge or an organization. He never studied a foreign language. He never been outside the United States, and he never kissed a girl, and he's 36 years old. But I'm here to declare, Jesus loves Norman and the talking pig. And Jesus loves Simon Peter floundering there in the water. And Jesus loves Roy Robert Smith, who never did anything. Where else are people who don't fit in going to fit in? Only in Jesus. We need to clap for Jesus a little bit here tonight. Come on. Come on. Come on, we need to clap for him tonight. You know. You can't fit into some societies. You can't fit into some things out there. But you can find a place in Jesus. You can find a place in Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. Come on. Come on, there's nobody like you. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you're going to tell Norman and the barking pig story, get it right. Don't go out there and mess it up. The second thing I want to declare is simply this. I must accept his love to really live. That's my second point tonight. I've got to accept his love. I've got to accept it. I said Sunday morning very briefly, it's not the love you give away that matters, although it's necessary to give it away, but it's the love you receive that causes you to grow. One reason I stand on that porch to hug people and to make people feel welcome is because I want them to know that Jesus loves them and I'm just a conduit of what he has for you in your life. There's no strings attached. It's not political. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's Jesus and There's nobody wants anything. I just want you to have a relationship. I want you to find some place that you can walk in and know that something is coming at you called the love of God. The love of God. And somebody said, Pastor, do you think that message will ever work? Yeah. Yeah, it works. Because the Bible said, Thou there about is faith and hope and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. And love, everybody say, never faileth. Say, love never fails. Love never fails. You know what some of you need to do? You need to fall in love with the Jesus that fell in, you, in love with you a long time ago before you was ever born. You need to say, here I am, Lord. Just fill me with your love. Come on, that's what you need to do. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your divine love. Wow. It ain't going to happen with some guy that you're going to meet at the bar. It ain't going to happen with somebody you do a doobie with behind the drugstore. Ain't going to happen there. It's going to happen in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Come on now. Come on now. The old song said, aren't you tired of chasing silly rainbows? Aren't you tired of spinning round and round? It's time. It's time for some people just to declare and decide. David said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Colon. And I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to dwell in the house. So I'm, I'm, I'm tagging on to that and telling you that you need to accept the love of Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus loves believers. He loves non-believers. Jesus loves people who dream great dreams. Are you a dreamer? He loves people. Jesus loves people who still believe that all things are possible to those who believe in him. He loves that. And Jesus loves those who are willing to step out in faith to do great things for him. Can I tell you a little, little something special that happened to me? You know, there's a lot of neat things that have happened to me in my life because of Jesus. I, uh, <laughs> I would have never met some people without knowing Jesus. Because it's easy, it's easy to talk about the Lord in front of people when you know the Lord and you have his love. I was sitting, I was sitting by two ladies the other night, me and Brother Bill Hawkins. I hate to tell this because some of y'all going to get so jealous. <laughs> Brother Bill Hawkins flew me to Phoenix Sunday, Monday night on first class airline ticket to see the Dallas Cowboys and the St. Louis Cardinals. No, no. But don't you get jealous. And, and Corey Redding and Priscilla kind of made it happen. And uh, it, was, it was pretty neat. And we won. But the man that I've always wanted to meet was Larry Fitzgerald number 11 for the Cardinals because he is a devout young man. And, and we were walking down on the bottom floor. Good Lord, I'm about to cry telling this. <laughs> we was walking down in the bottom, the lower bowels of that stadium and Corey had us a band on and Bill and I got to go downstairs and Bill, I love you. I thank you for taking me. Thank you, buddy. It ain't the first time he's took me places and don't get jealous of him. Don't get jealous of him. And, and because nobody's going to get that seat beside him but me, okay? <laughs> and don't get jealous of me because when he gets ready to go someplace else, I'll say, here I am, send me. <laughs> and we're down there, and, and, and so we went down to the bottom of the stadium when the game was over. And I know the Cardinals had gotten beat, and, 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 and that's not easy at your home turf. That's not easy. But I, but I was standing there, I said, God, allow it to happen I want to meet Larry Fitzgerald God I've been faithful in the kingdom <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm living this right here that I talked to you about right here I had a dream ever since I've ever since I've seen Larry play I wanted him to be a Dallas Cowboy and they didn't ever get bright enough to get him they let him stay in, in, with the Cardinals and, but, and so was leaving and I thought well it's, it's alright I didn't get to see him we stayed down there about an hour and a half after the game and I said well I didn't get to see him but I got to see a lot of people I saw John Gruden I saw Sean McDonough I took pictures of them 
I saw Sean Lee, the linebacker for the guy. I saw Ezekiel Elliott. I saw Dak Prescott. I said, how you doing, Dak? I'm Pastor Rex. No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't do that. And we're, and we're walking out, and I said, it's all right, Lord. It's okay. It's okay. But the Bible said if you'll delight yourself in him. It's, it's just a small desire. But I wanted to meet Larry. <laughs> we're walking out, and all of a sudden I hear big Corey say, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to try to get him to come over. And I see him for the first time. He's over there talking to a bunch of officials or somebody. He's in a very important meeting, Larry is. And all of a sudden, here he comes. And I'm saying, oh, God, what do I say now? <laughs> and I became a young man again. And Ricardo Sanchez was there. He was a guest of Corey, and he was there. His birthday's coming up. He'll be 50 when he shows up here next Wednesday night. He was born and raised in Phoenix, and so his wife sent him home, and, and he always had a bucket list to meet Larry also. Larry's just a good guy, and I wanted to meet him. Is that all right? And God just, I stopped, and here come Larry. If you got time after church, I got my phone over here. I got proof. And this is what I said to Larry. It came out of me. I felt a little anointing on me. I said, Larry, it's been, a, it's been a lifelong dream of mine since you've been playing. You're 34 years old. I know where you was born. I know who you are. I'm not a serial killer. No, I didn't say that. But I said, you're an excellent, par excellent, great football player, but your spirit is greater than your ability to play the game. And I'm so happy you represent the Lord. Thank you for representing the Lord. And Corey said, Larry, this is my pastor. And all of a sudden, the whole world changed in Larry's world. We wrapped arms around each other. And I got to take a picture with him. Now I can go home. Now you might think, what does that story have to do with this sermon? Nothing. <laughs> but it does. It does. The smallest thing that doesn't matter a bit in Kentucky or in Georgia or in Florida. But the smallest desire of my heart, God allowed to happen because Jesus truly loves me. And some of you need to understand it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing, but take everything that God does for you and say, wow, he loves me. And watch when the little things start building up. They'll become big things in your life. And before you know it, you'll be dancing all over this place saying the devil can't stop my praise because Jesus truly loves me. Am I preaching all right tonight? Am I telling you the gospel tonight? Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
You know, I, I've studied churches. I've got a, I took too much time on that story. <laughs> There's three kind of churches that I've recognized in the world. First is native churches. Native churches are people who are comfortable with their own culture. They aren't interested in anybody else's culture. In fact, they think they're normal and everybody else is strange because it's their culture. They know, you know immediately when you walk into a native church, it's obvious they're not used to visitors. In fact, they're suspicious of visitors. They talk a lot about change agents and change is a tool of the devil and anyone who espouses is an enemy of truth. They most always grow by membership transfers. Then there's conquistador churches. They're different but not much. They recognize the mandate of Matthew 28. The Christians are to go to all the world and preach the gospel. And they pursue that mission with zeal. And, but they insist on taking their culture with them. And the gospel according to the conquistador churches repent and accept our version of Christianity is the only true way because it's the only way. Come on in, take a few but don't touch the stereo. And when you look enough, you look enough like us and when you start dressing like us and thinking like us, we'll think of you as one of our own. Conquistadors accept you only after they have conquered you. And then there's immigrant churches. Churches who know where home really is. Immigrant churches and Christians recognize that there's a difference between their own religious culture, which is Western, to the gospel of Jesus, which is Eastern. And they realize that there are certain things that they're comfortable with and certain ways of expressing their faith that they like and are familiar with and even long cherish, but they are willing, they're willing to relax and start singing newer songs, start using some lights. <laughs> Am I preaching all right? And accepting the difference of what they think church ought to be then and now. And you know how to squelch, they know how to squelch the gag reflex of saying, oh God, I don't like what's going on. And you know that. And you know that's what we are. We're a church that is always trying to be on the cutting cusp of time. And the methods may change, but the message never changes. And the message is Jesus loves you in spite of you. And you've got to learn to accept that if you're going to grow in God. Amen? There is a beautiful story, and I close, Randy, if you'll help me. Oh, I, 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 I feel so good about the word here tonight. I feel so good. Dr. Al always writes me. Dr. Al, I love you. He always writes me. He always writes me. But last week, I got about six or seven Dr. Al messages, not him, but other people writing and saying, Pastor, thank you for the gospel. And I don't preach the gospel for that. I really don't. But it's so nice to have somebody that is in your corner, kind of a cut man, you know, when you've been out there battling and you come to the corner and say, Pastor, you got a little scar here. Let me, let me, let me get that blood off of you. Go back in there and preach some more. Feels good to have a cut man in your corner. And I love people that are encouragers, and I've got several encouragers in this church. And uh, I remember Brother John McDaniel used to give me a dollar every time I preached good. John, I want a dollar tonight. <laughs> Brother Harold Deal used to give me a red hot because he said it was a red-hot sermon. <laughs> but you don't have to line up. It's not about that. It's about receiving what I am saying here tonight because can you imagine when David introduced the Israelites to Zion, Mount Zion, taking the glory past Gibeah where they had always met when the priest went. Gibeah was where the church was. This is how we do it. 
Mm -hmm. Always done it. It was a one-man show. The priest would go in and put the blood in the Holy of Holies and come out and say, God's rolled the sin ahead. The very thought of a tent being on a, on a hill on Mount Zion is where God's presence dwells, really. Curtains being rolled up in all directions so the world could see the ark where the glory of God dwelt. Can you imagine the difference of the attitude of the people? David, you have gone into, you've gone into false doctrine because you've rolled up the tent. You want everybody, you want the Philistines to see the glory? You want the, you want the Amalekites to see the story? You want the Gittites? The Hittites, you want all? Yeah, I want everybody to see the glory. David was a man after God's own heart. It's time for the love of Jesus to quit being hidden. It's time for us to roll the curtains up and be a city without borders because the fire of the Lord will be around us. There's an anointing in this house and people need to learn the language of love. And this church possesses that language. There's a character in a classic work, Don Quixote, named Sancho Panza. And Sancho hangs in fear from a ledge one night, all night long, too frightened to let go. And when the morning dawns, he discovers his toes are only an inch off the ground. He hung on all night when he could have let go and fallen just one inch and rested real well. You'll get it after a while. Just let go and let God love you. Let go and let God love you. Quit. south was up north and he was on a river up in Ohio in the winter time and he wanted to get to the other side and the river was frozen and he was scared to death so he started walking out on that river and he heard it crack so he gets down on his all fours and he starts crawling and he hears it crack again so he gets on his belly and just starts slithering across the, the river when he gets to the middle of the river he looks back he hears a buggy coming it's not a buggy, it's a wagon full of iron ore pulled by four horses. And they're coming on that river where he is coming right at him. And the man gets up and says, go back, go back. You're going you're gonna, to you're make this river fall. It's, it's gonna, it, the ice is going to break. We're all going to drown. And the man gets off the wagon and goes over and stands in front of him. He says, sir, you must be from the south. He said, this, this water is 12 inches thick of ice above the water can dance on this. It's a foundation that'll stand. And with that he got back in his wagon, went plumb across to the other side, and the man didn't crawl anymore. He stood up and walked. The point is this. You need to let go and let God, and you need to understand you're standing on something that's not going to go away. It's called the church. It's called the Word. It's called the love of God. Come on, clap your hands. It's called the faith of the church. Stand to your feet what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Amen. 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 Brother Hal, do you buy it? Do you buy in tonight? Are you buying in? Buying in. Amen. Brother Howard, you buying in tonight? Hallelujah. I love it. I love it. Isn't it an awesome thing? Read. You did great in preliminaries tonight, son. Looks like you might grow up and be a preacher one day. Do you buy in, son? Octavius, do you buy in, son? Brother Earl, you buy in. 
let go and let God stand on his word. You know what I wish I had tonight? I wish I had some ice cream for y'all because y'all came out on a rainy night. Now you think I'm going to say, but I do have ice cream. I don't. I don't have any. But next Wednesday night, next Wednesday night when Brother Ricardo's here and we're doing our first Wednesday night, we're going to do communion. After communion, we're going to, we're going to baptize it with blue bell. Next Wednesday night. Amen. It's just time. It's just time. I just feel it's time. It's the end of summer. It's time. It's the end of summer. It's time to just break out the blue bell one more time. Join hands with your neighbor. You're awesome people. I want you to leave here feeling great about God, great about yourself tonight. Everybody say, Jesus loves me in spite of me. And I must receive that love so I can live. Amen. Amen. Now lift your hands up and say, Lord, we receive the word tonight. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I'm overwhelmed at your love and your goodness and your grace. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Bring us back Sunday for a beautiful beginning of a new series. In Jesus' name. Now take your time getting out of here. Don't be in a hurry. I love you. You're awesome people. None like you. None like you. Have a great, great, great.